Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your guest, Mishka Katkov, and this is a Swapcast episode from a podcast called Scaling So Far. Now, Scaling So Far is a brilliant podcast with candid conversations with tech founders and people leaders on how they've built and scaled their teams. This podcast is hosted by Matt Ellis, who is the CEO of Seed, a company that, uh, that has helped scale tech startups and game companies like Supercell, Calibri, Rovio, Space Ape, and Mag Interactive. So he knows a thing or two about scaling. Anyway, in this episode, we're going to talk about my approach of building a game studio and how that approach has evolved over the years. We're going to talk about building an evolving company culture. We're going to talk about how to find that super talent needed to make super games. And most importantly, how to compete for that super talent against established companies. And of course, we're going to touch upon challenges of building a game company. I hope you enjoy this episode. And I strongly, strongly recommend you subscribe to Scaling So Far podcast. And now, without further ado, a shout out to our fantastic sponsors, Facebook, Iron Source, and Apps Flyer. And of course, the, uh, the Swapcast. Hope you guys enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. I think what's what's become clearer certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business you know you could be super lucky you your game is an instant hit it's resonating with users but for when that's not the case uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level that's where we come in so we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. 
To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Well, the problem is if you hire for today and you give a high position for that person saying, let's say you have a great programmer, just an absolute monster who's, who's, who's really good at fast prototyping and fast coding. Is that person good at leading a, an engineering team? Probably not. But what if he comes really early? Will he be a lead developer? If he's a lead developer, that's a problem. Because now you've given a title for somebody who's not actually a lead developer. And sometimes I've seen even titles like CTO being given to people who are just great coders. That doesn't make you a CTO. So I, I think I think if you're hiring for a lead position, that person needs to be a lead. And then you can go about and, and, and thinking about like, what kind of a lead do you want? Do you want a lead that can actually build something? Well, that those people do exist. And you can hire for that, or if you want to have just a lead that can scale up, and you probably have to be in a, a bit of a different position as a company. But yeah, as a, as a as a thumbnail, don't give away titles like candy. I, for one, am massively looking forward to chatting to today's guest on scaling so far. Um, we've crossed paths a few times over the years, um, and he's built and scaled teams uh, for some of the most kick-ass teams in the world of gaming for companies like Supercell, Rovio, and Zynga. Um, and I'm stoked that he's with us today. Uh, now CEO and co-founder of Savage Game Studios, uh, Mishka Katkov. Welcome to the podcast, Mishka. How's it all going? Thanks, Matt. It's, you know, it's going, it's going as good as it can be, as it can be during these, um, these fun times. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you ever so much for joining us. I know you're super busy um, with the launch of the company and all that good stuff, but it'd be great if you could tell us um, a little bit about yourself and your story so far. Yeah, so I've been I've been in games for about 12 years. Started at Digital Chocolate, which back then was making games for Facebook Canvas. And I was actually one of the first product managers in the company. And it was pretty much learning on the job because the job was to make money out of free games, which just sounded absolutely crazy. And it does sound still crazy as, as it is today. Like every time you see people paying for free games and every time I pay for free games, it's crazy. Anyways, uh, so learned that useful skill on, on the job. And from that, you know, web went down, mobile went up. And so I ended up working at Rovio, then worked at Supercell, Zynga, OnePlus, worked both here in Helsinki as well as um, in on, in states uh, in San Francisco, and currently, as you said, founded my my own my own company finally, and um, and that's that's been my career progression from product manager to game lead to studio lead to um, to now um, a startup a startup CEO, which is not like a typical CEO. A startup CEO is a very different job than a CEO. So it certainly is. It's yeah. sleeve, sleeves up. Yeah. <laughs> it's position. It's almost so, funny to say that that's a CEO. Yeah, it does feel strange sometimes when the company's like two, three, four, five people, but it shows yeah. the intent. So what led you after a you know very impressive career to to co-fund your own studio last year? Was it something you've been thinking about for a long time or just uh, an idea that sparked? Um... Yeah, I mean, honestly, it wasn't something that I've been thinking about long time. And um, it came out quite naturally, organically, to be honest. It was just meeting with the, uh, with the people you wanted to found the company with. It was realizing a clear market fit and people actually that would be not 
only capable of building a, a game like this, but also, or games like these, but also people that are passionate about building something like that. And, um, and the third thing is always like, can we get resources to build something that we want to build? And, and um, after discussions with, with uh, VCs, they believed in the cost. So the resources came in. So now you have three things. You got the market fit. You got the people who are willing to do that. Now you have resources to, to pursue this challenge. So why not? But personally, I do have to say, like, for me, the biggest driver was to, to, to build a culture, to build the, the type of a type of studio that that uh, i believe can execute on the mission so so that was that was that was something that was that was driving me uh, probably the most but of course those those other aspects are important as well awesome sounds great and how would you describe the the mission and vision for the savage game studios yeah well i i um i don't know if, if I'm okay. Let's put it this way. I'm not a biggest fan of the vision, especially with startups, because it's kind of lofty to say like, Hey, we're going to connect people through games and create these experiences. It's just like, come on guys, what are you talking about? <laughs> like there's six yeah. of you or 10 of you or like whatever. So I would say the, but, but I'm definitely a big proponent of a mission because mission is something that you can build your values around. And mission is like, what are you executing against? And the values are, uh, is how are you working to, get to the to to complete the mission so for savage our mission is to to build the premier mobile shooter studio in the world that's a that's a lofty mission so i don't think you need a vision on top of that already <laughs> and um and yeah and the values are based on this mission and and the values guide on how we're working cool i like your answer there much debate on mission versus vision and you guys have an ambitious statement uh, and like you say you can build an organization and some values around that to execute and that's the the most important thing yeah cool so there are 10 of you currently in the team um as i understand it um maybe that's grown a bit since <laughs> since we recorded that season industry veterans from companies like rockstar wargaming rovio next games i think I and certainly the list listeners would love to hear a bit more about what your approach has been to, to building the team to date. I know you referenced it earlier, um, especially from a founder's perspective. How did you know who those early people were that you needed to bring on board? Yeah. So, yes, we, we are we are 12 today and 13 on Monday cool. and as of this recording. So so uh, we're, we're we've been, you know, I would say that the hiring hasn't been. The, uh, the most difficult things, of course, when you're very small, hiring the first set of 10 to 20 people tends to be quite easy. And after that, of course, you're using services like Seed uh, to to, uh, to to grow from there. But for us, the, the hiring is is really based on planning. And I think the planning has to be done beforehand. So we, we've drawn our organization charts. We know what we need to accomplish. And um, and we're we're basically hiring based on that and and pretty much yeah, I was just yeah. I think everybody who've been hired is somebody we worked with before, uh, at this point. But as it goes, usually you can get with that to about twenty, twenty-five people, yeah. and after that, you've you've kind of tapped out. And also, it's good to start looking outside just to just to you know not to hire every friend you have. Yeah, it's it's very interesting from a a cultural perspective, and that's probably a conversation for another day. But yeah, you know the. The, the organizations that we see succeed you know from a continuity perspective of bringing in those folks they can work with um, very early on when it's in that kind of just super hustle phase 
yeah um, so, so it it's, it's all about stuff. speed it's all about speed both with as you guys know hiring takes a lot of time uh testing takes a lot of time building trust takes a lot of time and those are important investments as you go forward but especially in the beginning if you're able to save some time by by bringing people who you know can complete the mission and are eager to to take you know to to jump on and are actually a good fit not just that they are friends but mm-hmm. Find in your roller decks those people who fit the position, then I think it's it's a good call to take them. But if they're not a perfect fit and you're just taking them because it's the easiest thing to do, then that's a wrong call as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's dive into kind of the um, learnings from from hiring as a process. You know, either for for this company yourself now, or you know, we know you've worked at the organizations you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. You know, both in in Europe and the US. Um, be really keen to, for you to share your thoughts with others um, around where you should begin from a hiring perspective. You know, what have you learned? What are the sort of some of the big big mistakes that you see? Yeah, well, well, the biggest mistake, and I think everybody who, who listens to this and everybody who's who's worked in any company knows that hiring too fast is the biggest mistake. Just bringing too many people too quickly uh, not only slows down your 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 uh, your production or whatever you're doing, but also messes with your culture. So, so essentially that's, that's the biggest mistake and that's how companies die. So, so, um, it's, it's very expensive mistake. So always, always go for, for slow hiring. Um, and, and especially in the beginning, in the beginning, I think you should hire people who have other people that they would bring along because you're building an organization and and sure you're, you're, bringing along some specialists that, that are specialists for, for the special task. But, but majority of the people that you're trying to bring are those who would scale up as the organization scales up. So uh, it's important that if you're hiring an art director, that that art director has actually a team and preferred partners that they've used to work so that they can set up the operations and, and, and bring talent with them. I've had that experience before and it's been absolutely fantastic. They would start pretty much with a, with a full skeleton art team and preferred outsourcing partner who they've worked years for before and you're up and running from, from day one. Uh, another thing that I've learned uh, recently, this, this is just recent, just by, by, by being a, a very conscious of money and time as a startup CEO, um, use contractors until you, ha- you find a great fit. So oftentimes, I've done this mistake before, and I'm sure other people are doing, is that they're trying to hire and fill up positions quickly so that they can move forward. They need certain talent, otherwise they're getting bottlenecked from it. World is filled, especially now, with contractors. Uh, Just super great specialists that can help you out in certain specific tasks. Use those and continue using them until you find the fit. So now you're not pressed on time to get that specialist like oh this person is you know good enough maybe not a perfect cultural fit maybe not the best type of talent but we need this person right now otherwise we'll we will you know it will cost money whatever it is no use contractor and take time with hiring with this like you say you kind of remove any constraints which allow yeah, you as a exactly. to make better people decisions you're you're buying time you're not yeah. you're not you're not you know being behind the curve by, by actually contracting some of the pieces out. Uh, third one is, of course, leverage your investor in, investors, uh, whether that's investors or your own network, but use your own network. Uh, you, you'll, you might find some great, um, great people through that. And other things that I've learned is that typical PR is damn near useless. <laughs> like if you're <laughs> not throwing shade at Pocket Gamer, but that type of uh, like basic 
PR, short blip, hey, we raised X amount of money, we're looking for this, this and that, whatever. No, like that's almost useless. I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but that's that's the case. Podcasts, on the other hand, have been great. Uh, this is coming from my own experience. Running a podcast as well for a long time, I've had a lot of guests from different companies come in and they were talking about their organization and they were getting a lot of people applying for those roles. So whether they are marketing lead or marketing director or a product director or whatever, hearing somebody talk for an hour about their organization, how they're working, what are the challenges, that leads to a person listening to it and like, oh, there's actually a fit. I'm interested to hear more about it. And for some odd reason, podcasts have been great. Maybe it's long form conversation. Maybe it is, uh, the, I, I don't know why, but they just bring it closer. So if you can invest your time into releasing press releases and begging for whoever to post them on their site versus jumping on podcasts like this, jump on a podcast, share it on your LinkedIn, and that's better. Yeah, I was going to ask you why, but you said you're not too sure. But I can kind of see see why that makes sense, right? There's a, there's a, a bland post. There are what hundreds of these on a weekly basis, right? People raising money or yeah. have a look inside this company, that yeah. company. And I think with a podcast as a listener, you can start to feel how passionate somebody is about a topic. You know, yeah. does, does that resonate with you? What are they building? Does it align with what you want to, to achieve from a career exactly. perspective? And I do, and I don't want to say that the press releases are useless, not by any means, because mm. they are, on the other hand, great for raising awareness for your company, yep. for other investors, as well as you know M and As and whatnot. That's where the BD guys are following that. But the people who are, who are interested in joining your journey are not looking at name the publication and what's the latest press release that, that is being put out there they're they're not they're not so and if they are you probably don't want them because yeah i mean i have seen that, that the type of people that apply at different stages of a, an organization's journey um does change and sometimes that's driven yep. by pr um you've got your early stage folks that that like the building phase the, the hustle phase and you've got folks that like a uh, company is already Mm -hmm. mature established successful i feel some security here um and yeah some are just chasing the, the, the uh, false sense of security we'll talk about that later <laughs> cool so i try to get so big it can't go down <laughs> <laughs> so here's an interesting question and you've thrown some questions back at me so um is there a myth that you think need busting when it comes to building a games team um, BS advice or something that you've seen too often um, advocated um, when it shouldn't be. Yeah. It, so I read this question in advance. Like the, the questions that you guys sent were amazing. I went through the, the advance and this was the only one that I didn't have really an answer because I don't like, what are the typical, like you guys know it, like what are the myths in, in building teams? Yeah. I'll throw a few out there. And these are sort of from, from previous podcasts uh, mm -hmm. as well as some of my own my own and there's the um hiring f fast versus hiring slow you've already solved for that one an interesting one is um let's talk about this one this is an interesting one um i'm not sure it's a, it's a myth but an interesting topic for us to topic for us to talk about which is um firing people quickly yeah uh, i'm not going to say it's a myth but i'm going to use the opportunity to jump on that um I guess you've got two schools of thought, right? And I've experienced both um, some through constraints of, of local market labor laws and some through organizational yeah. culture, right? But 
there are organizations that probation period is a, a very, very serious thing, um, an opportunity for both parties to decide if, if the organization works for them or not. And there are others that it's just a thing that's in the contract and they yeah. let this kind of thing rumble on. Like, a, let's use this opportunity to talk about that as a topic. Like your thoughts on, let's call it firing fast. <laughs> I hate the word offensive, controversial topic. I think letting go is, is the <laughs> like, if you have to fire somebody, then you are poor at recruiting. That means you just hired somebody you had no idea. <laughs> that person came in and it was horrible. So you have to fire his ass. That's what, what I think yeah. about. And then there's like letting somebody go because there was no fit. And that's mm. a different thing. So I think that's a great topic. Um, done that a lot to be like not not a lot a lot but in every position that i've been i had to let go people um i have a very simple process so first of all setting goals goals have to be really clear if the person is not aware of their exact goals and the ownership through that they will most likely fail in their in the organization and then you won't be able to point like why did they fail it's like well kind of didn't fit or kind of didn't do that but in real life, the person just didn't know what was expected of her or him. So start off with very clearly defined goals. And actually, in our in Savage, we've gone a step further. This might sound crazy, but we define the goals and you have to sign them. Because every time you sign something, you really read what was being said. And this is just making sure like, hey, these are the goals and, and you know, sign it. Like read it, sign it. Do you agree with them? Okay, great. This. And like you would a contract, if you have any questions or concerns, yeah. you discuss them, right? Yes, exactly. So, so it's not just an e it's not a conversation. It's not an email. It's, it's real. Like <laughs> you sign it. And it was kind of like, this was my co-founder. He, he, uh, he applied this to the tech team. And I was like, wow, this sounds crazy. We wouldn't do that in Finland. And actually he did that with our Finnish um, programmers and it worked like a charm because the ownership of the areas became very, very clear for them. I own this. It doesn't matter who tells me what in this area, this is what I have to deliver. And I have the ownership and, and the way and the ability to decide how I deliver these pieces. So, so first of all, start off with, with making clear goals. Then, then after that, it's actually really easy management according to that. Like you can actually just follow how the person is leading through that. You can have conversations of like why certain things are not working. We do that as well. Just, you know, go through a feedback session and try to course correct if there is an issue. But there's usually only one uh, course correct session. If if that doesn't work and there's no clear reason, it's just the ways of working, then we go to the uh, the next stage, which is essentially discussing of like, you know, how do we part ways? And And we've had to do that only once in our organization. And even the parting ways was according to to everybody's done really um humanly as possible it was just not a fit it wasn't because that person is not capable or this or that it was just not a fit and the person didn't feel that there was a fit and we didn't feel that there was a fit so what we discussed is like hey what would be a great organization for you to find a better fit and what will help you to 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 go there and um and let's just have a discussion about that rather than firing uh, i mean <laughs> it's like don't come here get out of here you're horrible no 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 it was it's more of a it's, it's a humane conversation because this is a small industry and and the and you know we try to be very good at hiring meaning that we hire 
good people. And if they don't fit, that must be something with most likely with the culture and with the ways of working. And that person might be excellent somewhere else, maybe at a larger organization, uh, for example. Yeah, and I've seen this, particularly in in Nordic countries, work very well, like you say, as a humane process, as a for both parties, you know, this this is or isn't working. I think the key things that you mentioned here is that the hiring process should be robust enough that we're not in a situation where it's this uh, firing situation. Occasionally there are mishires, let's call it that. And if the organization um, has set very clear goals that the, the individual is responsible to, we can track and measure their progress against yeah. those goals. We can look to fix collectively, and if not, it's the best thing for everybody that we support that person in in finding a career somewhere else. Um, and well, I see, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I see this as something that has been a personal learning for me as a first time CEO through my career. I, I absorbed it as a massive failure on myself, um, um, and I see it happen quite consistently in sort of a startup land um, where people don't necessarily act on this stuff either quickly enough or in the right way. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I do agree. There are a lot of startups that don't do this. Most startups don't do this. And they're kind of, um, how would I put it? It's almost like, let the battle define the role. Like, mm-hmm. like the best people will rise on the top. That's not true. That's not true. Your organization is chaos. If, if a person has to kind of find their role. And also, what kind of people rise on the top? you know, the alphas. Do you mm. want your whole organization to be all full of alphas? I guess if you're running a hedge fund, <laughs> like, but, but if you're running a, a game studio where you want creativity and you want different type of talent, whether they're artists or programmers or, or, or business people, like there, there are different. So I think, you know, defining the roles is very important. Second thing that I, that I didn't mention that I think is important is that when you lose your confidence in a person, you will not regain it. So why? You know, that's it. Mm, that's a very interesting point. But yeah, the, the the future judgment is clouded by the the former scenario, right? That was that was told to me back at one company uh, that I worked with by a smart person, as I was discussing uh, with with him on a certain you know individual, and he said like you don't trust him anymore so that's it i was like what do you mean like that's it that that won't come back Mm. and i was like you're right so that's it (laughs) interesting very powerful message i'm glad we ended on that topic Uh, i think it was it was a better outcome than the original question uh, from a listener's perspective so um you raised an impressive sort of 4.4 million um seed round in january so congratulations to, to you and the team for that um, as you look at the road ahead, what are some of the the main priorities? Um, are there specific specific focuses you have from a, a talent people, or or is it kind of very much focused on on product for now? It's it's definitely focused. As as I said, like we're we're going mission first, and the mission is you know being a premier shooter studio. And what does that entail? Well, it entails always that you have to have your engine that that of course ours is built on top of unreal but you have to have that shooter engine and that is your core competence that is the core asset for the company so that is our main priority and and from other parts just making sure that we have the right people and the right culture to execute on this mission and that is that is constant work because essentially you're going from four to 10 to 15 to 25 and as you're bringing more and more people you have to invest more and more time in creating and fostering the right type of culture. And the culture will evolve. 
that's for sure as more people come in so you have to invest time into 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 making sure that it's the uh, it's the correct one to achieve your mission that's great and we talk about kind of culture in an organization and, and you and i know that culture in, in any early stage organization or late stage organization is super important and i, I particularly see culture held high in, in game studios from the experience i've had um so what does the studio culture look like sort of at an early stage for you in, in savage games and given your experience what measures are you planning to kind of put in place to keep fostering as you said um the, the culture in your organization yeah well, well culture is so important for us that that the whole name savage game studios is based on the culture like that's the type of people want to hire savages so so and that's that's the kind of like workshop always going on in the company is like what is a savage like who is a savage let's let's define that that type of person so we're always hiring for that but for for us the uh, the process is, is quite simple i mean again going back to the mission that being clear for everybody then hiring slowly based on that mission and based on we actually have um we have a hiring freeze, which is a weird thing to, to put on a, on a startup, but but um, we do, and we've had to say no to people, uh, to, to good people, the people we work with, but the, the hiring freeze works in a way that unless you have a very well-defined role and you have reached the point where you can unlock that hire, meaning you don't want to scale too fast. Now you've reached a point in the production or in the, in the work that now that role becomes open, now you can initiate the hiring process. And before that, it doesn't matter. You can't you can't hire for a role that does not exist. So hiring slowly, onboarding, um, that's important because as new people come in, it's good to explain them the uh, the, the things why certain things are done in certain ways. For example, like every day we have at Savage, we have um, we try not to have any meetings before noon. That's a, that's just the thing because that's um that's a focus time. That's something that. Um, we've noticed in our previous workplaces that the people with the most power are the people that have most meetings and they want to start off their day with the most important meetings, but the people who are actually executing and doing the work need to focus early on <laughs> mm. and you should leave them alone because 70% of the people are, are at best in the morning time. So their first meeting might be the daily and the dailies move later in the day. So usually at noon and before that, you just focus on your work. You can not even have your Slack on. Just just focus on on completing whatever you need to do. Uh, and of course, I talked about the written signed goals. I've talked about the daily OL. We also do a lot of play testing, a lot of play sessions, and we have our Friday of sort of a dedicated time where we can play where we play usually our own game, but we also play benchmark games together. And we have our all sort of a, like long form discussions on Friday. So mm. we're trying to move everything like focus, focus, focus. And then on Friday we play, discuss, um, you know, all that, all that jazz happening on, on, on one day instead of being kind of put in, uh, in the middle of the weeks and, um, and yeah, and, and follow. And, and, and in addition to that, the value discussion is always important. You always have to, as the organization grows, you always have to go back and discuss, your values, and most importantly, what do what your values don't mean? Because um, when we discuss values, it's always based on the mission. This is how we work. And when we say efficiency, which is one of our key values, it, what does it not mean? And it's, it's important to get everybody's um, opinion on on what do they don't what they don't want to see, not only what they want to see. And finally, offboarding. Offboarding is super important. 
if there's no, you know, the toxicity is one thing. We luckily haven't had that. And that's, that's the, the firing thing. But, but mainly it's just, if it's not a cultural fit, you have to, you have to let go a, a person. Makes sense. And I really like hearing about kind of the, the rituals in an organization. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, for me, these types of things do define culture as the organization, who yeah. you are, how you operate. And these are differentials between organization to organization. Right? Um, and I'd like the, the people first, efficiency first kind of type, uh, type approach. I'm dying to know um, and sort of unpick this topic if you're prepared to share with us, but what makes a savage? <laughs> I, this this uh, this changes all the time. So we have a next session where we discuss what is. This. It doesn't say change; it evolves constantly. Yeah. So we have our next sessions again. Milestone completed. So it's next week. We're having a discussion because so many new people have joined, uh, and we're going to talk about what it, exactly this question: what for them means savage. And this is our, our you know based on based on our mission. So inherently, for what it means for me, it's a person that loves ownership and and in all the studios that i work with the greatest results have always come due to individual effort like somebody like she was able to pull something that 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 was that moved the whole team forward mm -hmm. or he was able to do something that was totally unexpected he pulled it off and that person is a savage celebrated in the team so if your whole team is savages, then what can happen? So that's essentially, uh, that's essentially what we're trying to do. And, uh, and we're trying to hire for, for, for that type of mentality. So a person who's, cool. uh, who's excited about the ownership. Cool. And I think a super important takeaway for, for people that are listening here is that culture evolves and it requires contribution and yeah. it changes. And it's a team, a team game, uh, not just, a, you know, not, sat in the ivory tower um updating the spreadsheet or the the pitch deck by yourself right this is something that everyone lives and breathes the, the ivory tower if you will has to be clear on what is the mission like yeah. that is important and then everything else will be defined by your actions uh that, that you're taking so so um so that's yeah perfect thanks for that so when you're creating genre defining games um like you have and and will be doing in this organization um, you have to be able to hire genre-defining talent, right? Um, so how do you go about that? What does the balance of skill, experience, potential, culture ad look like for you? And how do you spot this in candidates? Yeah, well, well, it really starts from from having a strong leads for all the functions because I'm I'm not the person who can who can define if somebody is a is a genre defining programmer or a back-end lead or so forth so so it starts off with with hiring the leads and the leads you trust and then those leads hire the type of team that can function the best way so and, and the second thing is as as i said we have uh clear hiring gates so as lead usually leads work them alone and then they pass certain gates and they unlock more talent to their team and then they are defining those roles very clearly. They're defining the goals for the people very clearly. And we do a lot of testing before we hire. So those are those are all the elements to to build that team. And and in the meanwhile, we contract because contracting is fantastic. It's a person that starts off next Monday and works for a month or a week or a, or a three months until like as long as needed. Yeah. 
and uh, plays to your efficiency uh, mentioned earlier as well, right? Makes yes. sense. Yeah. And going back to the strong leads piece, I picked up on this earlier. Um, when you're early stages in an organization, first 10 or so employees, you're hiring these strong leads. Are you a believer in, and I think I know the answer based on what you alluded to earlier, are you a believer in kind of over-hiring these positions so that those leads have the potential to, to build and scale those functions? I guess kind of like the mindset of hiring today versus hiring for the future, I think would be the sort of broad topic here. Yeah, all of our leads have led before. And um, I think that's crucial. I think hiring for today, well, the problem is if you hire for today and you give a high position for that person saying, let's say you have a great programmer, just an absolute monster who's, who's, who's really good at fast prototyping and fast coding. Is that person good at leading a, an engineering team? Probably not. But what if he comes really early? Will he be a lead developer? If he's a lead developer, that's a problem. Because now you've given a title for somebody who's not actually a lead developer. And sometimes I've seen even titles like CTO being given to people who are just great coders. That doesn't make you a CTO. So anyways, I, I, think, I think if you're hiring for a lead position, that person needs to be a lead. And then you can go about and, and, and thinking about like, what kind of a lead do you want? Do you want a lead that can actually build something? Well, that, those people do exist. And you can hire for that, or if you want to have just a lead that can scale up, and you probably have to be in a bit of a different position as a company. But um, but yeah, as a as a as a thumbnail, don't give away titles like candy. Yeah, I think it's a very valuable piece of advice, and I see this certainly as organizations go through maturity phases and, and funding phases, and first person on the ground in, in tech has got VP of director of and it becomes a very awkward conversation when <laughs> yeah we, and we, we make sure like 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 i'd say i'm a ceo on paper i'm more like a gm to be honest and then our cto might say the same thing he's like i'm a technical director i'm cto on paper but i'm a technical director when the organization grows i hope i can become a cto of this organization yeah makes sense now you've hired for i guess been a hiring manager let's call it that in some of the let's call it the world's most attractive game studios um, and now hiring for a brand new um, organization. Um, two very different, um, two very different approaches, I think. Um, so what have you seen work well for you in the startup studio kind of environment when it comes to standing out to candidates against the bigger names? This is the type of advice that our listeners could take on board themselves and say, hey, we're super small. We're competing against folks yeah. like you. You've worked with it for Robio, Supercell, et cetera, et cetera. How do we, how do we stand out? How do we differentiate as a as a studio and a, a destination? I think it's easier to stand out against the big ones. Uh, you know, I uh, this was a this was a good question, and and luckily I had uh, I worked at Funplus back when Funplus wasn't Funplus. I mean, it was Funplus, but it didn't have top grossing games. And at the same thing, people were like, what is this Chinese company that is, you know, has this empty studio space in San Francisco? Like, what are you guys even doing here? Like, is this money laundering thing or what's going on? <laughs> you know, uh, so, so it's kind of like the same type of approach. Like, how do, you, how do you hire without having the brand? And the way you hire when you don't have the brand to support you is you hire through your mission. Like, what do you set out to do? Um, what you can offer then that none of these big companies can offer is you, first of all, you can offer a mission that leads to passion. 
uh, you can offer ownership and big companies, oh my God, reporting, meeting, reporting, meeting, meeting, reporting, then a little value workshop. And then, you know, like we know what it's like to work in a big company. So don't get it twisted. We know what your job is. So, so please don't, don't talk about how great it is at working at company big X. Uh, the, the second and the third thing is the atmosphere. It's like, you can build the type of atmosphere. Like one of the first things that we did at Savage is we decorated it with rally chairs and gaming tables and everybody had a gaming PC. Uh, we have razors as laptops. They're not more expensive. They're actually cheaper than MacBooks and, and you know, Lenovo's or whatever HP's, but they look dope and they look like they are, they should be in a gaming studio. And then when people get them, they're like, check out my computer from my job. Like, look, this old black with three snakes. <laughs> and um, the art on the wall is from games that we'd love. Like we, we have some, you know, this plate does some of the amazing, amazing things. So when you come in and, and the atmosphere is totally different, then you have a talent. So when you hire slowly and you hire only the best people, the guys who and the, and the gals you interview who come in, they're like, wow, this, this place is filled with some monsters. Like, do I fit in or am I good enough to be in this crew? Because they know when they go back to their company with 2000 people, not everybody is top of the food chain. There's a, mm. <laughs> there's a lot of people who are not, there's a lot of people who are just kind of cruising and it's not, it's not that they're just bad. They're, they're just the type of organization where you can cruise, but in this organization you can't cruise. So there's a, so that's the fit that is coming in. Like, are you ready to, to, to you know, to swim with the sharks? And finally, there's an upside. Are you getting an upside in your current organization? Some people are. They're sitting on on options, so they're kind of locked. That's fine. It is what it is. But most people aren't. They don't have any upside. Um, they might have some options that are actually value, like without any any significant value. And they may think that they are safe, but we know that no gaming company is safe. It's it's it, it's ludicrous to think that you're working at company X Y publicly listed and you're safe. No, you're actually more likely to get cut yep. because if the stock goes down, they're gonna they're gonna offload you. And then what they gonna offload? They're gonna offload the people who are working on the new project. So if you're interested in working on something new, if you're interested in working with with other people who are passionate, if you're interested in this atmosphere, if you're into taking ownership and if you buy into the mission, and if you want the upside for completing the mission, come and join really interesting topic and i noticed when i first started working in the games industry in helsinki in, in 2013 i think it was um it amazed me how tribal um the, the, the games industry is you know there's like you said there's the hoodies there's a hoodie competition going down at igda like who's got the best swag um and you know people are part of that organization you know, they're, they're in it you know particularly the early stage ones and yeah i think super valuable points for people to take away is like be you be authentic and you know broadcast that and, and tell people what you're not um because that's that's super important yeah i would say i do have to say i think it's easier to hire for us for a small company and, a, and a, not, not even it, let's put it this way it's not only a small company you can be a part of a big company but you're running your studio autonomously i think that is easier than to hire for you know, company X that is public and that has this and that going on. Like it's, then it's based on what your, what's your stock price and people like you'll get people who are like, Oh, you guys are doing great because the stock is up. It's like, 
or you guys are doing poorly because the stock is down. It's like, no, this has nothing to do with what we're doing. So it's really hard to communicate your passion message inside of a big organization, unlike it is in a, in a smaller organization. So you're well off not being part of something big. Cool. Thank you very much. And what do you feel are the main forces behind a, a sustainable, high-performing, we can talk about Game Studio, but I guess any team, um, when it comes to culture that we've touched on a lot, process we've touched on, you know, and the team perspective, what are the measures that companies should look or should consider putting in place early doors um, to ensure that you know, high-performing organization? First of all, it's, it's mission. I said mission so many times. It could be a North Star. Some companies talk about their North Star. That is super important because that brings people together and they understand what they're going after. There are companies with great North Stars or mission statements, like Supercell probably being one of the best ones. You know, they make games that people play for decades and remember forever. Got it. Got it. That's clear. <laughs> like, what else do you need? And then they have their, like, it comes from company first, then team, then you. Perfect. That's the, that's a playbook. Now I understand how to how to operate in this environment. So of course, having this type of a north star or a clear mission is is imperative. Then you have to have leadership that actually listens to people. This is a, to your comment of the ivory tower. I've seen this happening all the time. It's like they set out certain missions or certain goals, and and they never talk to the people. <laughs> they never go to the ground level and 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 really you know interact with 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 the staff it's like hey how's it going they might interact with the division leads and then think it's going to go all the way up but no like even if you think like the biggest generals they always walk through their troops and kind of you know talk to everybody mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, the stable boy like don't be afraid we're gonna take this it's normal to be afraid like you know the, that kind of stuff but that's a good leader the same thing has to happen in a business you, you have to be on the ground floor you have to be approachable and you have to approach others Third thing is you have to have decentralized command. Like you can't be a, a micromanager making all the calls because you kill all the initiatives in your company. Give leeway, trust your people, hire well, and let them come up with how they want to accomplish the mission. That's how you lead them through, through setting that. Uh, fourth one, top talent. If you start hiring too fast, Start bringing in people, start saving a little bit, like, ah, oh, you know, this guy could probably do it, maybe. <laughs> or start bringing in too expensive people where they are not actually doing their work and they they need a lot of, like, a little army helping them out. Then that's, uh, that's, that's not good. You want to always have a top talent so that when you come to work, you feel that you're surrounded with people who you respect and who you want to be working with. That's awesome. And finally, you got to um, ship, whether it's games, whether it's, whatever you're doing you have to get let the get the products out because mm -hmm. the success of your products and the growth of your products will invigorate your whole organization brilliant thank you very much now we're moving into some of the uh the closing questions um what would you say is one challenge when it comes to to co-founding and building a game studio that if you had a, a magic wand you could wave and, and fix it immediately the the I was I was talking today with uh, with a certain founder, who um, who actually <laughs> he reached the end of the rainbow just recently. <laughs> um, anyway, and he was we were talking about this, and he said, "You don't want to sell too fast because then you lose out on all the grind, <laughs> and the grind is what <laughs> what grows you." 
<laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but basically that's that's what he was he was talking about. And um kind of reference to that, like again, you don't want to make it easy. So no magic wands to make it easy because you have to go through the hardships. Uh but one of the things that is probably the most difficult is uncertainty. You know, you know, there's <laughs> it's um there's always situations where you don't know what's going to happen. And oh, like every week, usually a couple of times a week, there's an element of uncertainty and you have to just live with it. And I'm the type of person that doesn't like uncertainty. I like plan A and plan B, preferably plan C as well. And when you are in situations of uncertainty where you don't know if plan A is going to work and plan B is actually the wrong plan because you didn't expect this uncertainty to come in. So you actually don't have a plan that creates stress. So you have to kind of deal with it. And if, if, I would be able to deal better with uncertainty. And if somebody says meditation, I'm going to punch them. But, <laughs> uh, but, but that would be that would be better. That would be the magic one is is to is to deal better with uncertainty. Because yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's a reality, and even yeah. the bets that you make as an organization, you think these are we are very confident this bet's going to pay off. Sometimes they don't, right? And, and frustratingly for folks like us you can control so much of the of the equation but not everything yeah and everything is important but what what do you think about it do you think meditation helps uh for <laughs> me personally no uh, my wife is very into spiritual activities and yoga does your wife run a company no she doesn't actually exactly. so there you go um <laughs> i just think for me the Uncertain, like you said, uncertainty, stress, challenges, solving problems. These are these are what we sign up to. And actually, because deep down we like this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. We like we like hustle, we like build. We don't like sitting on something that's already done. We're, we're builders, right? So <clears throat> I just make myself aware that actually you might be a bit stressed now, but you signed up for this. And by yeah. the way, you really love it. Yes, <laughs> you might be a little bit sick in the head, but you actually love it. You know. <laughs> Exactly. And it's, but, but I always feel like I have to just jump on this meditation because I, I hear it mainly from people who have gone through the grind and are on the other side, maybe sold their companies, but are well off. They're like, yeah, I really found meditation to help me a lot. I'm like, yeah, because you're not in the grind anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you've cashed in, you've yeah. beat up, you're at yeah. the end of the rainbow. Yeah. No, I think meditate. for me, yeah, did you meditate before? No, I just recently found this. I'm like, exactly, because everything is good now. <laughs> Yeah, meditation for me um, is not in the true sense. Like I like, I like music um, and yeah. other passion projects and you know other things that I guess it is a form of meditation because I'm focusing my mind on on other things, not constantly trying to yes. to solve the stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I, I seek I seek peace <laughs> if we want to talk about it in this meditation sense in in just different things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Doing something that makes you forget about the main thing. That's a different thing. Exactly. But sitting quietly and trying not to think about the thing you should be thinking all the time is preposterous. No, that's, that, that stresses me out. I would have the opposite effect to, to meditation, I'm afraid. I'd, I'd rather spend an hour trying to solve it and scribbling stuff down or yeah. on a whiteboard than trying not to think about it. But glad we're on the same boat there. <laughs> this podcast will not be sponsored by any meditation apps. <laughs> Ever. No, we're blacklisted. <laughs> um, obviously not meditation, but is there anything that you're... Uh, unapologetically passionate about you know something that you're mildly obsessed with um these can be light-hearted or, or serious of course yeah 
Yeah. So uh, I was thinking about this question beforehand and I was like, what am I passionate about? Like, what do I do every day that I'm, that I'm really into? And I was like, Oh, I forgot. It's like, yeah, my passion project actually. <laughs> Deconstructor of fun is something I'm, 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 I don't know if passion is the right word, but yeah, I do this. This is, but it, it also supports my own journey because I can get smart people on a podcast and people who won't have an hour call with me to talk about interesting things. But since I published the, the art of conversation, somehow they're willing to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, so I would say that as well as I, I think by writing. So that's how the whole thing came out to be. Mm-hmm. And if you write publicly, then you write better and it's not just scribbles and you also keep yourself accountable. So, so I would say, I would say that. And if it's like mildly obsessed about stuff, uh, this is something that I require for myself is like discipline. Uh, a lot of things going on always. So, so um, I mock myself in my head when I don't do enough stuff. <laughs> when I'm watching Netflix, I might be like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, love the, I love the openness about like the learning process as well. And I'll be super open about that too. Yeah. Every single podcast we do um, that I'm, I'm sort of hosting, my notepad and the same today goes crazy like I, i'm scribbling stuff down like, wow that's super cool <laughs> i'm adding this to my thinking list do we do, do we really do a great job of that so yeah it's a really great process and you get to speak to lots of super smart people um and unpack some of their great experiences so good stuff is there one thought value or phrase that you live by i wouldn't say live by that would be <laughs> sounds extreme huh <laughs> It's pretty extreme for sure. But on the business side and on, on everything, I really like the quote from Henry Ford. And he said, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're probably right. Mm. I think that's powerful. I think that is like, it's, it's all in your head. Yeah. And, and that's, I think it's true. I'm not going to argue with that on that one. That is a very, very powerful. Um, is there a people leader, founder or source of inspiration that, you think we should try and secure as a future guest and just to let you know somebody suggested we get elon musk um on so hopefully they're a bit more attainable your suggestions but we like a challenge (laughs) so so all right i'm gonna give you let's start off with the easiest not easiest but most straightforward to get to your podcast that would be very interesting i would definitely listen to so james nichols he's a general general manager of natural motion uh he's known in the industry wide as a great manager so it would be great to talk to him and and hear about why are you a great manager word on the street is you are a great manager why (laughs) what makes you so uh the second one would be sophie wo she's um she's a studio lead at voodoo berlin and she does a lot of deep thinking on leadership a lot of writing a lot of um yeah, she has. She follows this um, Simon Sinek methods of of finding the why, and she's very methodical in her approach. So uh, on her team building and everything, so that would be a, a great one. And um, and finally, number three would be Anton Gaufin. He's the CEO of Huge Games. Mm-hmm. So these are in the order of easiness to get. <laughs> so Anton is, I would call him an engine. Uh, he's he's just uh, he's a he's a founder currently CEO of an of a public company, but he is always fired up. It's so fired up all the time. Like he I don't know how. And um and just gets more and more fired up as 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 things go forward. So I would definitely um uh, hear from those three. 
So thank you very much for sharing that and we'll, we'll do what we can. Um, finally, um, someone that you admire or think has a unique and impactful approach to, to scaling, especially from a people perspective. Yeah, I mean, this is not a surprise to, to probably anybody. So that will be the CEO of Supercell, Philip Mbononen. I think he's the, what, the best team builder in the business ever, probably? I would say so from my personal experience. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. So, that's a, so, so of course, yeah. you know, a tremendous amount of, amount of learnings you can get from, from, from the person. And um, yeah, I, I don't know what else I can say about that. Yeah, I think... It's it's no secret to those that know him, particularly folks like but you and I are fortunate enough to have had a level of exposure to to the way in which, and I guess you're in digital chocolate as well, right? You know, helped um, create the, the, I guess I like his phrase about being the, the least powerful CEO in the world, right? It's all about kind of creating an organization that can achieve the mission, which is easier said than done. Yeah, he has a, he has a strong mission, great leads, decentralized command. And then you can say you're least powerful. I, I don't believe in least powerful. Let's be honest. That's a, that's a great <laughs> phrase, but the way he builds teams and organization is just unrivaled. For sure, for sure. Well, this has been a blast. Um, thanks for joining us. Super insightful, as always. You know, learnings for me, and I think uh, learnings for, for everyone that's listened in. It's been brilliant, and um, thanks again very excited to follow yours and savage game studios journey ahead and, and we wish you all the all the very best appreciate it thank you for the great questions and, and fun interview thanks very much <laughs>